You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. From the studios of Community Radio 91.3 FM reporting live for WFHB, this is Charlotte Wagermiller. And I'm Jordan Jammer. This is the WFHB local news for Friday, February 21st, 2020. Coming up in the next half hour, WFHB Assistant News Director Sydney Foreman reports on the Mayor's State of the City address. Lowering our carbon footprint is half the battle. The other half is making sure that our community has a place for everyone. That was Mayor John Hamilton talking about climate and social sustainability. This past Wednesday afternoon, former Indiana University student body president Keith Parker was awarded the IU Bicentennial Medal at the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center Lunch and Learn event. Keith Parker, IU student body president from 1970 to 1971, took an active role in participating in the civil rights and anti-war movements. Parker also helped to form the African Studies Program. Parker was also a member of the Black Panther Party, originally founded in 1966 in Oakland, California by college students Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. The party was a revolutionary organization focused on black nationalism, socialism, and armed self-defense. After college, Parker went on to form a career for himself. Relating to his role in the Black Panther Party, Parker said at the event, quote, I had to do something more than just shout, more than just give speeches. I had to do some real work, end quote. Going on to say he tried to find work in activists that would make a difference. Parker ended up as an advocate for public education and also spent 19 years as Associate Vice Chancellor for Government and Community Relations at University of California, Los Angeles. He retired in December of 2017. The Bloomington City Council approved the non-consensual towing Bloomington Municipal Code Amendment as amended. Council members discussed the ordinance as a whole in their February 19th meeting. Council member Sue Scambellari asked Deputy Attorney Stephen Lucas if charges would apply to the payment plan option. B was drafted to allow for consensual services uh, for towing or dolling or any other sort of uh, uh, services offered by the towing company with the consent of the owner. that's, that's my reading of it. I certainly see how you could read B to possibly allow that, but my argument would be it, it doesn't. Um, yeah, my only thought was that if someone requests the opportunity to have a payment plan, are they requesting a service? Does that make sense? My reading is A would preclude those, those extra charges. Got it. Thank you. Tow company owner Cody Chandler said 20% payment of the total cost is too low for customers to receive their car on a payment plan, he suggested a raise to 50%. Tower Matt Stryker voiced concern of money loss from payment plans. The process now is if we choose to do a payment plan, they sign a piece of paper, you and I both know that piece of paper is no good. Um, we have to sue them civilly. So we absorb those costs, cost $97, I think, to file in civil court here in Monroe County. So now we're adding costs to that and then Once there's a judgment issued, we have, they go on a payment plan with the court system, then they don't pay, and then, or they pay payments over time, which is fine. Um, But then when they don't pay, it goes to a default judgment. And then that's not enforced by anybody. 
So my question is 20% or even 50 or whatever number is agreed upon here. How do we get our money? How do we not go out of business? City Attorney Mike Roker said collection agencies could be used over going to court. Council Member Jim Sims said illegal parking constitutes towing. Council Member Isabel Piedmont-Smith said a standing committee would have better served the ordinance. During the meeting, council members also approved establishing standing committees and abolishing other certain committees of this common council. Council member Stephen Volan differentiated commissions and committees. A board or a commission is a citizen commission uh, that often has uh, joint appointments from the administration and the council. Uh, committees are nothing more than subsets of council members. The whole idea of this proposal is to divide up the work that we do. Uh, they are sub-quorum. They, they cannot make a decision on behalf of, the, on behalf of the whole council. Boland said standing committees would hear appointed issues but could not take binding action. He said committees can only make recommendations to the full council. He said this could replace the committee as a whole. Council member Scambolieri said issues can still be heard as a whole. It is certainly possible if a very complex piece of legislation comes to us that really does span all the multiple areas. Um, I would personally be fine with sending it to the committee, the whole, if that makes sense. Um, beyond that, I think, and this is where Councilmember Volan, you may want to comment, um, there has always been a possibility for any committee member or any council member to attend any committee. Um, so I don't think someone not being on the committee that gets a piece of legislation precludes them being involved in that conversation. The council voted to create sten 10 standing committees. On Wednesday night, the ninth Democratic presidential debate took place in Las Vegas, Nevada, with Democrats Sanders, Bloomberg, Klobuchar, Warren, and Buttigieg. WFHB's junior correspondent Katrine Bruner discusses some of the highlights from this debate, as well as climate policy through the voices of Democratic candidates Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. The debate, broadcasted live on NBC, show the varying relationships on the stage, especially between Bloomberg and his fellow candidates. The former New York City mayor was the only newcomer on the stage and faced lots of heat from other candidates, specifically over his treatment of women and words used in the past. Former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, kept his cool during the debate among Sanders' hits and heated back-and-forth arguments with Klobuchar. In getting his point made clear, he stated at the beginning of the debate, quote, Let's put forward someone who actually lives and works in the middle-class neighborhood in an industrial city. Let's put forward someone who's actually a Democrat, end quote. Buttigieg served as the mayor of South Bend from 2012 to 2020. He launched his campaign for the 2020 United States presidential election on April 4, 2019, becoming the first openly gay person to launch a major presidential campaign and earn presidential primary delegates from a major American political party. Buttigieg has since gained significant momentum as he has participated in several town halls, forums, and debates. Buttigieg has triumphed in Iowa and came in a close second in New Hampshire, However, the public says that he has yet to grow his base of supporters from predominantly white, drawing in of voters of colors who have so far shunned his campaign. The former mayor's struggle to appeal to African-American voters may be his biggest challenge in the upcoming election.
However, he has shown great ability in connecting with the young Hispanic audience after speaking at the League of United Latin American Citizens Presidential Town Hall in Las Vegas, February 13th. During the debate, Buttigieg highlighted multiple issues that he has favored in his own campaign, including health care, climate policy, and small business taxes. Compared to past debates, climate change seemed to be one of the most pressing issues to speak on for candidates, especially from current U.S. presidents' personal and public views on the topic. In September 2019, Buttigieg released a plan aiming to move the U.S. to clean energy and agriculture, shield existing communities and industries from the effects of climate change, and lead a global response to the crisis. During the debate, Buttigieg emphasized many things, including the importance of having leadership in this widespread issue and his plan for how the United States can be carbon neutral within the next 30 years. Now, I've got a plan to get us carbon neutral by 2050. And I think everybody up here has a plan that more or less does the same. So the real question is, how are we going to actually get it done? We need leadership to make this a national project that breaks down the partisan and political tug of war that prevents anything from getting done. How do you do it? Well, first of all, making sure that those jobs are available quickly. Secondly, ensuring that we are pulling in those very sectors who have been made to feel like they're part of the problem, from farming to industry, and fund as well as urge them to do the right thing. And then global climate diplomacy. I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the idea that convincing is going to do the trick when it comes to working with China. America has repeatedly overestimated our ability to shape Chinese ambitions. Senator Bernie Sanders spoke on the issue as well. In his response to workers for the fracking industries, he said how it is necessary to leave behind fossil fuel practices and start using more sustainable energy sources for our country. He also expressed the urgency of the issue and responsibility that the U.S. has for the world and for future generations, ideas that are thoroughly represented in Sanders' Green New Deal. What I tell these workers is that the scientists are telling us that if we don't act incredibly boldly within the next six, seven years, there will be irreparable damage done, not just to Nevada, not just to Vermont or Massachusetts, but to the entire world. Joe said it right. This is an existential threat. You know what that means, Chuck? That means we're fighting for the future of this planet. And the Green New Deal that I support, by the way, will create up to 20 million good-paying jobs as we move our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. This is a moral issue, my friends. We have to ha take the responsibility of making sure that the planet we leave our children and grandchildren is a planet okay. that is healthy and so, habitable. That is more important than I, the I, profits I, of the fossil fuel industry. I want to keep this going, Senator. As the presidential election is coming up, the race could be decided in two weeks on Super Tuesday, when about one third of the delegates are allocated. The total states that will be participating this year are Alabama, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner.
Local climate activist groups Golden Bicycle and Extinction Rebellion wrote a letter to the mayor outlining what the city can do to combat climate change. WFHB News Director Cade Young has more on these two activism organizations. Golden Bicycle and Extinction Rebellion are groups in Bloomington who put climate change at the forefront. In a letter to the city, these groups say climate change is the defining issue of our time. The letter addresses how the mayor should allocate local income tax revenue to help those most affected by climate change, which include people of color and working class communities. The letter said, quote, we hope to see a working group that is as you have proposed, empowered, resourced and engaged. Likewise, the sustainability fund should be transparently applied in the most effective way based on scientific analyses and focusing on those most affected. We anticipate your commitment to a progressive approach to any new tax, ensuring that it builds a more equitable Bloomington and does not harm those least able to afford it. The letter addresses two major initiatives by the mayor. First, it mentions the local income tax increase, meant to allocate about $8 million to a sustainability fund. Secondly, the letter highlights the city's formation of a green ribbon panel, a governmental body meant to identify and address climate challenges. The groups wanted to remind people climate change isn't a future possibility to avoid, but instead a crisis that is occurring now. They said climate change is a culmination of our past actions that can only increase in severity, regardless if it is slowed by current and future efforts. They cited concrete examples of climate change in effect, including the disruption of Midwestern growing season cycles. Furthermore, on a global scale, the Australian fires show the reality of climate change. They referred to the natural disasters and the changing climate patterns as the new normal. In the letter, Extinction Rebellion and Golden Bicycle write, quote, It is imperative that we not take half measures in this crisis, and thus a clear and transparent plan for any money raised by the LIT is necessary if it is to be accepted by the public. End quote. Golden Bicycle and Extinction Rebellion said the plan for LIT revenue should guarantee Bloomington's resources are, quote, efficiently and progressively, end quote, directed to respond to the climate crisis. They referred to a list of demands delivered by the city in September for a rapid deployment of resources for climate transition. The demands focus on affordable and sustainable housing, a transit plan to end dependency on private transportation, support for the local food economy, and fruit tree plantings for food resilience. They said to hold large corporations accountable. For instance, Duke Energy. The groups write, quote, Duke Energy is a major employer in southern Indiana, but their carbon emissions are the second highest of any company in the United States. Maintaining business as usual for large employers does not have a positive impact on our health, survival, and environment. In order to avoid the phenomena known as greenwashing, a GRP must be directed by experts and community members rather than corporate initiatives. End quote. Lastly, the letter to the city provides a list of recommendations to the Green Ribbon Panel based on the local grassroots climate coalition. Furthermore, they push for transparency in the sustainability fund that they said should be applied in the most effective way rooted in science and aimed to help those most impacted by climate change. The letter says, quote, Any serious discussion of the state of the city tonight must take into account the climate crisis that we are already in and the inequitable distribution of the catastrophes it will produce here, end quote. Among Golden Bicycle's list of demands to the city, 
The group said carbon emissions need to be at net zero by 2040. Extinction Rebellion demands emissions to net zero by 2035. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. That was Cade Young reporting on a letter written to the mayor addressing local climate issues before his State of the City address. Now, in today's feature report, WFHB Assistant News Director Sydney Foreman covers the mayor's State of the City address last night at the Buzzkirk Chumley. During the time I lived in that French cottage, I began to recognize the subtle magic of Bloomington. It was an entirely different world from Reno, where I'd lived before. Now, if you've been to Reno, you know that it's rugged, austere, and masculine. But Bloomington, she's the yin to Reno's yang. A charming goddess whose evening skies are resplendent with peach and magenta, colors you want to eat for dessert. Her forests are luxuriously clothed in emerald robes, and her wildflowers are dainty denizens that flaunt their vivid colors. That summer, this lushness was rampant in my neighbor's yard. You just heard an excerpt from the original short story titled Midsummer's Eve in Indiana, written by Bloomington local Juliana Crespo. The story shows a vibrant image of the love and treasures each person brings to the city. Juliana read this story on the stage of the Buskirk Chumley Theater to the community gathered at the 2020 State of the City Address. No se puede During the address, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton focused on city climate and social sustainability actions and goals. Hamilton stressed the importance of fighting for climate reform. He spoke about the rising temperatures in Antarctica, reaching a record high. He also spoke about an expected temperature rise in Indiana for up to 6 degrees Fahrenheit within the next 30 years. This increase would cause up to 51 extremely hot days a year, affecting crop production, drinking water, economy, and much more. Hamilton spoke of climate effects within 10 years. Our planet is in trouble. In their 2018 report, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, sounded an alarm. By 2030, global greenhouse emissions must be reduced by 45%. They said toward a a goal of net zero by 2050. Why? Scientists agree that those reductions will likely limit global temperature rise to one and a half degrees centigrade from pre-industrial levels. And although even that rise will have, has already had dramatic and cascading effects on rainfall, heat events, sea level, habitat, and biodiversity, if we can limit the temperature rise to one and a half and not higher, we can avoid the most devastating effects that could make much of this world largely uninhabitable. Hamilton recognized that the city's constituents have been actively calling for climate reform. He recalled hundreds of climate activists gathering in the city hall demanding climate action. Hamilton said among many other awards, Bloomington was listed as an A-city from the Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy for Leadership and Transparency on Climate Action. He spoke about sustainability actions taken by the city. Our local efforts are making a difference. Our water utility launched a new $4 million green stormwater infrastructure program 
and is installing 15,000 new smart water meters. Bloomington Transit just bought its second all-electric bus, joining a hybrid fleet. Last year's urban forest report found that we have increased the city's public tree population over 50% in the last 12 years. Solar investments have soared in the community with PV systems at 32 city properties, five megawatts of new solar capacity for municipal operations and private homeowners. $10 million in bicentennial bonds are adding more public trails, trees, and other amenities to improve health and quality of life for all. We are shaping more sustainable land use with projects like the redevelopment of the hospital site and with robust tools like our newly passed zoning code. A new local food coordinator connects local farmers with new markets and institutional buyers. And our Waste to Energy Task Force finished phase one and recommends exploring a viable system to collect and convert organic waste into clean, green, compressed natural gas to power vehicles and or water treatment. Phase two will begin immediately. We have our first ever sustainability plan in place with specific measurable goals through 2023. We've completed our reliable greenhouse gas inventory. We're doing a climate vulnerability assessment now, seeking the community's input. And our transportation demand management study I mentioned will promote better transportation options and fewer car trips. Hamilton also recognized transportation as one of the largest contributing factors to greenhouse emissions. Along with climate, he recognized the city's demand for affordable housing, homeless relief, and substance abuse programs. According to a biannual city survey, over 90% of contributors reported a desire for homeless relief, affordable and workforce housing, and for safe bikeways. Hamilton said, combating climate and quality of life work together. Lowering our carbon footprint is half the battle. The other half is making sure that our community has a place for everyone that everyone counts, that as we move to a sustainable economy and address climate change, we also remedy injustices and failures that destine so many of our people to lives of pinched opportunities or worse. More specifically, building a more inclusive community with opportunity for all during our decade of action means accelerating our momentum to deal with affordable housing so people of all walks of life can live in Bloomington, raising their quality of life. It means assuring that we have jobs for all who can work, that pay living wages and support lives of dignity, including particularly green jobs that won't be outsourced or automated away. It means lowering the costs of living here, including with lower energy, and lower transportation costs, so effective wages and wealth can go up. It means investing in local food so that our essential food supply gives us much needed resilience and also supports more of those local green jobs. And it means ensuring supportive services are there for those who need them to deal with an illness or substance use disorder or disability or lack of job readiness or skills or young kids needing daycare during working hours. So no one is left behind or on the wayside as we transform into a sustainable 
Bloomington. To ensure a sustainable quality of life, Hamilton proposed a 0.5% income tax increase. Hamilton said, currently, Bloomington property and income tax rates are one of the lowest. He said, after passing, Bloomington would rank the third lowest of the seven neighboring counties for income tax rates. He said taxes would be used for constituent requested sustainable action. This substantial new income should be focused on addressing these dual challenges, pursuing these dual opportunities over the next decade for a much more sustainable Bloomington. Over the next decade, this new income would let the city invest an additional approximately $80 million toward our better Bloomington and provide the county with an additional $80 million as well. This would support major progress toward the changes our community wants to see in areas we know are so important to us all. Hamilton revealed a potential profound impact to the Sustainability Investment Fund from tax increases. He encouraged community involvement in the process of decision for taxation. He invited the community to share with the city how they would like to see the new income spent. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. Coming to you live from the studios of WFHB Community Radio, I'm Charlotte Wager-Miller. And I'm Jordan Jammer. Support for WFHB comes from Cardinal Spirits Distillery. Located on the B-Line, Cardinal Spirits has opened a new kitchen featuring local seasonal food made from scratch to complement their craft cocktails. Dinner available Tuesday through Saturday at Cardinal Spirits, 922 South Morton Street. The WFHB Local News is also brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Katrine Bruner, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Sydney Foreman. Our engineers today are Sydney Foreman and Cade Young. Our new theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is Charlotte Wagermiller. And I'm Jordan Jammer. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered listener-supported, independent local news program. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for KiteLine, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending New Volunteer Orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 